So I selected that uh, question for a reason. My, my reason for asking that question is that genuine dialogue that, that creates connection between people happens when we show up as open. And if you've ever been in a party, I just gave you the best uh, question to ask when you meet somebody new. Instead of saying, who do you work for? What do you do? How old are your kids? Go with, hey, your name, and, and tell me what you're looking forward to these days. And when people start to answer, whatever they answer with, I want you to follow with, tell me more. Or that sounds interesting. Don't be too quick to talk about yourself. Be open, be inviting, be receptive, right? So um, that's why I picked that question. We're in the middle of, we're we're just starting the Advent season. I'm going to talk about that for a second. Wes is going to come up and teach around Advent today. And Advent is all about being receptive to what's coming. Uh, So let me talk about a couple opportunities we have going on here at Warehouse, and I'll set that up. The first opportunity is this, is during these four weeks of Advent, this is the first week, uh, we have a cohort that's specifically designed around Advent. And that's meeting upstairs each week on Sunday mornings at 8.30. And what we're doing there is the group that's coming together is looking for ways through Scripture and prayer to be open to the light, letting it come into them as a group, right? And letting it come into here. So how to practice Advent, that's a place where you can learn that. That's interesting to me because we've always been, our community has always been a place that is, to some extent, for people who don't have a religious background or who have a bit of a bitterness towards religion, right? And my own history is completely irreligious growing up. And then when I did become a Christian, it was in a tradition where Advent wasn't practiced. And uh, I honestly, for some reason, had a real hitch around Advent and what is that. So great way to let me throw that opportunity out on to you for the next three weeks to join with that group and uh, become more open and receptive to what God is doing during this time of Advent. Our second opportunity we'd like to invite you to is uh, to our change is to the change is to serve at the Change Choices Christmas Banquet. So Change Choices is a strategic partner of ours. One of the most important ways that we interact with the city around us and the world here at Warehouse. Just can't say how important that is. And every year, Change Choices holds a banquet right here. We get to host it for them. And in that banquet, they serve their the families of their clients. Their clients are folks that were formerly incarcerated. And there's probably no way for you to receive the blessings that are open to you at Christmas than to serve people, other people, at Christmas time. If you've never done that, wow, just really want to invite you to that. If you have, you know how great that feels to you. So, you know, come on, do it. Go to the Skinny. It's on Saturday, December 8th. If you go to the Skinny at the warehouse site, you'll find a place to register You'll find all the ways that you can serve. You could buy a gas card. You could help set up. You could help set da- take down. You could help with craft construction. You could help with parking. There's something for all of us to do. And I want to invite all of you to partake in that because it's totally awesome. I've done it in the past and it just really opened me up. And it's just great to see what Warehouse is doing. So please take a look at that. Let me invite you to that. Let's overwhelm the site and let's have too many people volunteering. That would be awesome. So let's talk about Advent for a second. Uh, Advent traditionally has is, is been practiced in the Christian church since about 500 AD. So it's been around for a little bit longer than you and me. 
So it's, well, uh, it's a well-established well practice. This year, our theme during Advent is Light Gets In. Advent is simply the four weeks, uh, the four Sundays that lead up to, to Christmas time. But Advent isn't just about Christmas and, and the coming of Christmas or the coming of Christ. Advent really is about three comings that we want to try to keep in mind during this time. This is rich for me. So the first is the coming of Jesus to us individually. The second is the coming of Jesus to the world. And the third is the coming of Jesus that's not yet come, his return, that when he comes back to this earth and, and receives all those who've loved him as his own. So that's what's happening at Advent. Wes is going to break that down a little bit more in a moment when he talks about the story of Mary, Jesus' mother, and how her receptivity, how her openness uh, led in the light, and how we can follow her example. We start, we usually come to this point in the service and we have a lament. And the point of the lament is to contrast that person like that Wes is going to talk about, like Mary, to our own experience. And uh, the song that band has chosen today, or someone chose, did you, I don't know if you guys picked it or if Wes picked it, somebody picked it. This was the, uh, this was the, the ultimate breakup song of my high school era in 1976, in December of 1976. I know it's old, right? Fleetwood Mac released this song in December as a run-up, early run-up to the Rumors album. So it's called Go Your Own Way. Here's the background on the song. In the band, they had just had their 10th album. If you didn't know that, that's kind of amazing. A few years earlier, it had been a huge hit. And during the, the break between the 10th album and this 11th album, Rumors, Christine McVie and John McVie, a couple, a married couple in the band, broke up. And Lindsey Buckingham, who was lead guitarist and, and chief uh, songwriter and singer, broke up with Stevie Nicks, who was his girlfriend. And this song is a spiteful song. Lindsey Buckingham wrote this song because he wanted to take it to Stevie Nicks. And he made her stand up there on the stage with him for the rest of her career and sing the words, the backup vocals, the song. If you have the time to tell you to waste, just go to YouTube and look at a live version of this from that era. She's got this big hat on. And the contempt, the seething on the stage is unreal. He said he wrote the song because he wanted to remind her every day that he had hurt, she had hurt him. It was their biggest hit. <laughs> she always has to sing it with him. Yeah. But if you watch the video, she does this thing at the end. It's so funny. He's on her left, and she just does this little turn spin thing around from him, and she smiles at Christy McVie, who's playing piano next to her. I, bring, I, I think it's the perfect Advent song. <laughs> I'm going to guess it's so perfect that there isn't another church on the whole globe that's using this song today in their service. It's the perfect Advent song because there's an energy in all of our hearts to want to go our own way. And there's no way into the light in that path. So what is it that I'm looking forward to? I'm looking forward to the light getting into you today. Welcome to our house.
man, go your own way is the ultimate Advent lament. I don't, I don't think I'll ever hear that song in the same way again. So cards on the table for me, I love Advent. It's my favorite time of the year. I love the anticipation. I love the food. I love the cold. I love the, the family. I love the gift giving and receiving, all of it. I love it. But um, I am very aware of the fact that a lot of you dread this season. Uh, for a lot of reasons. This is, this is a tough season for a lot of people, and there, and there are parts of it that I dread as well. But for, for many of you, this is a season where you are painfully aware, in one way or another, of the various cracks in your life. It could be a relational crack. It could be a physical crack in your body. It could be a vocational crack could be a crack between how you expected your life to go and how your life seems to be going. For various reasons, it seems like Advent is this time where uh, we become more aware than usual of these various cracks in our lives. And that's why this Advent season, I want to invite us to reimagine these cracks, uh, to Uh, not just view them as signs of weakness, failure, or brokenness, or disappointment, which they still are. But maybe there's a way to reimagine these cracks as well. Because if you you look at a a foundation of a house that's cracked, right, we usually view this as this pretty bad thing. Like, either I need to fix this or I just need to walk away, you know, from, from a cracked foundation. Um, and, and it's similar with other cracks in our life. So when a crack appears in a relationship, in, in a marriage perhaps, it's a sign that something's misaligned, right? Something's broken. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And so our most natural reaction when we experience or see a crack is to either try to fix it or decide to leave it behind, so with a cracked house foundation, I could say, all right, I need to figure out, I need to get contractor, I need to figure out what's involved in fixing this crack, or I, can, I could ignore it and just, you know, live in the cracked house, or I could decide to sell the house and walk away. Um, these are our typical reactions, trying to fix it or leaving the problem. And it's the same with a cracked relationship. You can try to repair that crack in the relationship or you can walk away, right? Two of the most typical Responses. So what we had in, in the song, uh, Go Your Own Way, Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks, their relationship was cracked. She decided to go her own way. He wanted her to stay and fix it. Uh, again, this is the typical response. But I'm asking this Advent, what if there is a third way of approaching these cracks in our lives? Of responding? What if, it's, what if it's possible to reimagine all of these cracks, not just as signs of weakness, but as ways that the light gets in? So the question I'm asking is, what if in our rush to, to fix the cracks or in a, a rush to get away from them, we're actually missing how the light of God's presence and grace shines through these cracks, and reveals to us new possibilities and new realities. Leonard Cohen has a song called Anthem, and he has these famous words in that song. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. There's a crack in everything. 
That's how the light gets in. That's what we're going to contemplate this Advent season. What I'm inviting you to consider is how the cracks in your life are ways of letting the light in. What we see primarily as weaknesses or failures or disruption or brokenness, I would argue God sees as primarily an opportunity to let in his light. That's what happens in the story of Jesus. Through weakness, light enters the world. Uh, And I would argue it's the paradox at the heart of Christianity that the light shines primarily through weakness and not through strength. The light gets in through the cracks. So we're going to explore that idea during Advent. We're going to look at the various characters in the stories surrounding Jesus' birth. Each character that we're going to look at from week to week, Mary, Joseph, the Magi, shepherds, were wrestling with what to do with a pretty significant crack in their lives that had appeared. But as it turned out, it was precisely through these cracks that the light of God entered the world and entered their own lives. So as we explore those stories... Those aren't just ancient stories that are interesting to think about. They're transformative stories for us because we can learn in the process how God is doing the same thing even now by his spirit, letting in light through these cracks. And we can experience then God's presence and grace in what I think are some pretty surprising and revitalizing ways. We begin today then with the story of Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus, I think it's a story that many of us know well. I hope you can see it maybe in a fresh way today. Uh, What we're going to see is that this crack opened up in Mary's life. And rather than trying to fix it, or rather than run away from it, she was receptive and allowed the light to enter through the crack. And and we know about this story because Luke, who was one of the first followers of Jesus, recorded, has this this account of all of Jesus' life, this... um, account that he wanted to pass on to others, and uh, it's the third book of the Second Testament of the Bible. And Luke's account begins with how an angel is going to promise to Elizabeth and Zechariah a child, who, who are Mary's relatives, even though they're old. Elizabeth becomes pregnant. So that's the first story. And then the second story, later on in Luke chapter 1, is Mary's story. So that's what we're going to read together. Why don't you stand with me as I read, as we... Pay attention to God's word here from Luke 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. And wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, Since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. 
I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is God's word. Thanks be to him. All right, it's important to notice what Mary's gut response to the angel is. You see it? She's freaked out. Okay, the the NIV has this nice, tame translation, greatly troubled. She's freaked out by this angel's presence and his words. Um, Why? Why was she freaked out? Well, so a visit from an angel is not a precious moments figurine kind of like moment. All the times that angels come, people are freaked out, just, just by their very presence, but then often what they say as well, because the fact is, angels usually bring news of what? News of judgment, okay? So, yeah, it's totally understandable why Mary's freaked out here. Um, one commentator on this passage put it this way, he says, God's direct intervention is always unexpected, perplexing, and potentially disturbing, It's good to remember that. God disrupts. It's what he does through his messengers. Okay, but the angel Gabriel assured her he's not bringing disturbing news. And she doesn't need to be freaked out. And he goes on to give her seven big reasons why. Seven big promises that he gives, uh, starting here at the end of verse 30. He says, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus, which means he saves. Jesus will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. That's a divine title. Uh, He will ascend to the throne of David, and his kingdom and reign will never end. All right, seven huge things to be delivering to Mary in this moment. And and there's plenty in there that would totally have blown Mary's mind. She's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Back the the train up to number two. I'm going to have what? I'm going to have a baby? Um, Hello? I'm a virgin. Okay? The precedent in God's story is for older women to conceive supernaturally. There was a a precedent for that. Uh, Mary would soon discover that her relative Elizabeth, even though she was not able to conceive, was able to. Um, But there was really no precedent in all of God's story for a virgin to conceive. There's a hint of it in Isaiah chapter 7. There's a lot of debate about what that means there. But so this is, this is totally new, totally new. And, and there's this unspoken expectation when an angel visits. Whatever they're saying will happen immediately, okay? So that's why this is a little difficult for Mary to process, okay? Uh, and why her question's pretty reasonable. How in the world is this going to happen? Because I'm a virgin. I'm betrothed to Joseph, and we have not been intimate, Right? And this would have been a difficult thing to hear, I think. Verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. In other words, just as the Spirit of God hovered over the expanse to create the world, so the Holy Spirit will hover over you and create this special baby, and you're going to name him Jesus. And before Mary can even respond, the angel gives, gives her a sign and a reminder. The sign is, it's like, if you don't believe me, your relative Elizabeth is already pregnant. Six months. And the reminder is that with God, all things are possible. He 
He says, when God, when God says something, he'll do it. No word from God will ever fail. Despite all of that, despite the news and the sign and the, and the reminder, this is a crack in Mary's life, a big one. I mean, what would Joseph think? Uh, you're pregnant? By whom? The Holy Spirit? <laughs> right. Crack. Joseph could reject her. Her whole family could reject her. This could be a moment in which she loses everything. It could be the end of her life. And in a poem that I encountered this week, I think uh, Lucy Shaw helps us understand how significant this moment really is and how Mary might have initially received these words. So listen, listen to this poem. It's called Too Much to Ask. It seemed too much to ask of one small virgin that she should stake shame against the will of God. All she had to hold to later were those soft, inward flutterings and the remembered surprise of a brief encounter, spirit with flesh. Who would think it more than a dream wish? An implausible, laughable defense. And it may seem much too much much too much to ask me to be a part of the risky thing, God's shocking, unconventional, unheard of thing to further heaven's hopes and summon God's glory. For Mary, this was shocking, unconventional, unheard of news. It was a crack in her life. And her most natural reaction in this moment would have been to try to ask God to fix it or to run as far away as possible. That is our natural response to cracks. And Mary realized somehow, in some way, that that's not how she was supposed to respond. That this was the way that God's light was going to get in. And so in a moment of incredible faith and deep courage, Mary believed that. She believed it. In, in this beautiful moment of receptivity, here's what Mary says. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Some translations have, may it be to me according to your word. So this right here, folks, is the essence of faith. This is it. This is why Mary has been elevated so high throughout church history as the paragon of faith. This is the essence of the Christian life right here. May your word to me be fulfilled. May your will be done. May your light come in through the cracks. I feel like this is the beginning of the end, but I choose to trust you. I feel like this is going to plunge me into darkness, but I'm going to trust that your light will shine through the cracks. This is it. This, this receptive posture, may your word to me be fulfilled, is the opposite of I'm going to go my own way. Do you see that? I'm going to go my own way, or I'm going to fix this. That is our natural human way. This is the divine way of faith. And receptivity. It's the same recept receptive posture we see in Jesus in the garden. 
right before he was arrested and then crucified, this posture of not my will, but yours be done. It's, it's the posture that defines Jesus, and it's the posture that, that defines his followers. And, and it's the kind, this is the kind of receptivity that resists fixing and resists running away. It refuses to believe that a crack is only weakness. We're just not seeing it as God sees it, as the way that the light gets in. So let me give you some examples, starting with just one from my own life. Um, a few years ago, after the, the patient and persistent plotting of one Kathy Graves, I finally uh, explored the Enneagram. Um, those of you who don't know what the Enneagram is, it's, it's more than a personality uh, assessment kind of thing. It's a spiritual formation tool. So it's meant to expose to you your driving passion that, uh, left alone to run its own way, will ruin you, okay? It's a very, very positive tool. Um, <laughs> your, your driving passion has a potential to plunge you into darkness and in, and in sin, unless you open that passion to the transformative light of God's grace, okay? Hence the, the beautiful tool. And each driving passion is given a number. I'm a three, uh, which is the passion to succeed or achieve. Um, One author to a book on the Enneagram says that being a three and living in America is like being an alcoholic living above a saloon. (laughs) Why is that? Well, I've been discovering that it's because uh, our culture is built on this idea that if you work hard enough, if you can achieve... Uh, you'll get there, right? If you work hard enough, you can achieve whatever you want. It's the American dream, right? Well, it's also the American disease. Because what you get is a nation of people who think they don't need God and who burn themselves out and everyone else around them on moralistic self-reliance. There's a poison at the heart of our culture, this achievatron, and it's in my heart. Um, so, <laughs> thank you, Kathy Graves. The, the Enneagram has exposed a major crack in my life, and that crack is called a need to achieve, which from one angle is a deadly sin. It's a weakness. It's a fundamental brokenness in the structure of my personality. And I, I remember reading a description of a three for the first time, and my heart just sank, which is what, when you know you found your type, right? You're like, oh, no. Um, <laughs> It is so true and so ugly. Here are some of the things that I read. The keys to my happiness are efficiency, productivity, and being acknowledged as the best. Crack. I don't like it when people slow me down. Crack. I know how to airbrush failure so it looks like success. Crack. I'd rather lead than follow any day. Crack. I'm competitive to a fault. Crack. It's hard for me to name or access my feelings. Crack. It's hard for me not to take work on vacation. Oh, crack. (laughs) Over and over and over again. It's like, yeah, this is my crack. I get it. But then seen from another angle, uh, these cracks have allowed the transformative light of God's grace to enter my life more than anything else in my story so far. It's crazy. Um, That by really seeing the cracks for what they are, I can also see God's grace for what it is. To know that God loves me no matter what I do. 
to separate my self-worth from accomplishing goals, solving problems, to find a God-centered balance between work and rest, between being and doing, to, to channel my drive to succeed toward helping others to succeed. I have grown because I've let God's light shine through those cracks. Still am, you know, I'm, I'm on a journey with this. I have a need to succeed. It's one of my cracks, and I'm realizing I can't fix it, and I certainly shouldn't run away from it. What I can do is I can acknowledge and be receptive to how God's light gets in through the crack and transforms me. And all of us are cracked in, in general ways that we all have in common, and then in those specific ways according to how God made you, according to your story. All of us are cracked. It's part of what it means to be human. We're cracked images of God. There's a crack in everything because we live in a broken world. But what I'm inviting you into during this season is rather than seeing those automatically as things to fix or, or flat out rejecting them, what if we just became more receptive to those cracks as portals of God's light? I know it's counterintuitive, but the gospel is counterintuitive because God chose to send himself to crack his own body so that light would enter the world. It's God's way. So as you think about what, it, what that would look like in your own life, I want to give you another image, uh, an image of the Pantheon in Rome. When I visited this, I was blown away. This is, this is the largest unreinforced concrete structure in the world. Uh, it's massive and has this massive dome, and it's all cracked. The whole thing is cracked. Uh, can't really see it in the, in the photo so well, but when you walk in, you're like, oh my word, this thing's going to collapse. Like, there's cracks everywhere. Um, and many people are, are making the case for financing this huge restoration effort to fix the cracks. But the architect, John Oceandorf, I think I'm saying that right, sees it differently. He's a professor of architecture at MIT, and he says that the cracks might look like flaws, but they're actually a sign of the building's incredible ability to adapt to a sinking foundation over hundreds of years. So he writes that, okay, the cracked state is the natural state of a masonry building. The original builders would have known the difference between a crack that was a part of the natural settling process and a crack that heralded collapse. Today, engineers have lost that perspective. It's like you have a scar on your arm from an accident that happened 30 years ago and someone comes along and says, we have to operate. Have you seen this scar? So rather than seeing all cracks as a threat, engineers have to reimagine how cracks can shed new light on the sound engineering practices of the ancients. I think that's really cool because he's saying that sometimes cracks help you see the true strength of a building. So there's this paradox that cracks can actually show you how strong you really are. And that's how I want to invite you to reimagine the cracks in your life during the season. That perhaps by letting, by being vulnerable with the cracks in your life to yourself and to others, God's going to give you a new kind of strength. He's going to reveal the kind of strength that comes from relying more on him and not less. But that, that involves seeing cracks as not inevitable marks of collapse, right? But as how the light gets in, as, as defects that can lead you to your true strength. So I don't know what that is going to be for you as you re- reflect on that this Advent. Maybe, maybe it's a crack in your personality like I just shared uh, with you. Maybe it's a relational crack of some kind in a 
friendship and a marriage. Um, Perhaps it's a crack in your vocational journey. But whatever those cracks are, I want you to hear. God voluntarily cracked his own body for those cracks. That's what the gospel is all about. The fact that God chose to have his light enter the world, not just through a disturbing and surprising virgin birth, but through the cracked body of his son. And he did that because there's a crack in everything, and that's how he had to let the light in to the world. By allowing his own body to be cracked, God offers you forgiveness and wholeness and healing and salvation and liberation and freedom and hope for all the cracks that you experience in this life. So Mary's body grew this baby that she thought might ruin her. Uh, It's how the light got in. And then later, this baby's grown body would be broken for you because that's how the light would get in. And even now, uh, the spirit of, of our cracked, risen Savior continues to shine his light through the cracks in our life. But we would rather ignore them, patch them, walk away from them. And uh, I think being here together on a Sunday and, and meeting with God during the season is about opening our eyes a little bit and seeing how God is, is bigger than our cracks and actually working through them. So we're going to celebrate communion in a, in a minute here. And this is a great opportunity in really crazy, busy, frenetic lives just to stop and connect with God in a really unique way. Um, and, and today, I would encourage you, during the time of silence and while you're participating, one, it's, it's a time to remember a crack in your life that you need to pay more attention to. A crack that you've tried to fix or run away from, but you need to be receptive to in a new way how God's light might, might get in through it. So remember, remember the crack and then remember Jesus whose body was cracked for you so that you could find the healing and the hope that you long for in the deepest parts of your being. It's offered freely, it's offered now, it's offered tomorrow and the next day and the next day and forever. It's yours as a free gift of grace through receptive faith in Jesus. And we celebrate with these simple signs because it's how Jesus encouraged his disciples to remember him. With a simple loaf of bread broken, Jesus would say to his friends, this is my body cracked open for you, so do this in remembrance of me. And with a simple cup that has wine, Jesus said, this is the sign of a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. It's a sign of a new way of relating to me that through weakness and through death, you can become your true self. Through weakness, through letting the light in through the cracks, you can find your true strength. And that's in me, through my spirit. So if you are willing to own the fact that you're cracked, uh, this is a beautiful way for you to find hope and forgiveness and healing. It's offered to anyone with no conditions. So I hope you will celebrate and remember that with us this morning. Uh, The way that we'll do it is there will be several groups in different parts of the room with leaders. One leader will come around with uh, the bread. You can take off a little piece of bread. And then the couple come around. You can dip it in the wine or the juice and wait till the group prays and you can 
remember together in union with each other just as a sign of our union with Christ. So as, uh, as the servers serve and go to different parts of the room, just take your time as you want to join a group. Try to keep the groups to 12 or 15 or so to keep it intimate. Um, so you can wait for a group, join one whenever you want, uh, celebrate, come back to your seats and continue reflecting and worshiping and meeting with God. So I'll pray, invite the servers up, and then we'll do this together. God, during this time of communion, we, we get to be vulnerable with, with you and name some of those cracks in our lives that, uh, to be honest, we would prefer to ignore. Um, I would ask for the grace in particular during this time, God, for us to own up to some of the relational cracks in our lives, the extent to which we contributed to those or the extent to which we feel like we're just the recipients. So I think there's time for repentance here, God, there's, and there's time for lament. Uh, but don't let us stop there. God, move us on to hope and joy because through those cracks you bring light. And we want to see the light very clearly this morning. The hope and the healing and the forgiveness and the salvation that you freely offer through Christ. Thank you for this simple reminder. And may it lead to lives of greater joy and greater shalom and greater peace. In Jesus' name, amen. are on you it is well with me you guys can stay standing as I send us out a couple things to be aware of as you leave this place one is since we're in Advent Kids Warehouse has put together a family Advent project uh, there's one project per family so please feel free if you have kids to pick one of those up on your way out Sean wave you're back there uh, that's where they are um, if you don't have the Jesus Storybook Bible, we also have those available uh, for a donation. So uh, we don't want anything to get in the way of you guys doing the project. So please go check it out and grab one. Uh, also, we were going to have a Warehouse in Africa update in the gallery afterwards, but the Telefskis got hit with the flu. Um, so we're going to be postponing that. Um, but I would say, just speaking of the gallery, if you haven't seen the Lorian uh, exhibit in the gallery... Uh, please do so. It's awesome. A bunch of West Charlotte students created art in the Academy this summer, and then a professional artist responded to their artwork. That's the show that we have up now. It's awesome. So go check that out. Either for sale as well. All proceeds go to the Lorian. Um, no, it's good stuff. Uh, I think that's it. Uh, please make use of our prayer room. If something's stirred in you this morning, it's around the corner with a mural on it. You can pray by yourself there or with someone. Uh, that's your space. Use it however you want. So receive this benediction as we leave this place. May you be more aware of your cracks when you leave this place, the ways that you are bent and broken and weak. But may you do so in a new way today. May you, in that moment, experience more of God's light, more of the grace of Jesus, more of strength of the Spirit. May you become more dependent and more thirsty for God. Go in grace. Grandeur earth has quaked before. Moved by the sound of his voice. Thanks for listening to the Warehouse 242 podcast. If you have any questions or want to find out more about Warehouse, visit warehouse242.org or come join us on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m.
at 2307 Wilkinson Boulevard in Charlotte. Thanks for listening.